Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Lindsay. And this is the Hideaway Podcast, episode four. Quacho. I spy some new plays on our bookshelf. What are new plays on our bookshelf doing there? We got some new plays thanks to the new dramatists luncheon that I am currently serving on the board of. What's the New Dramatists? The New Dramatists is an amazing organization that picks four to eight playwrights each year to support, and they give them seven-year residencies and a home in New York City and kind of provide them with the support they need. Yeah, at the luncheon, they give us this great gift bag full of plays and books, books of plays. The Downtown Anthology and Eclipsed. Man, I really, really want to see Eclipsed. Me? Too. The girls from Eclipsed were sitting at a table next to us, and they were impeccably dressed and beautiful. I think the most memorable part of that lunch was probably the food. The literal lunch. Yeah, the literal lunch at the luncheon was the most memorable part. It was unknown filet of fish And beet ravioli. Over a bed <laughs> of beet ravioli. Just what you want on your plate. Blood red beets and fish. Yeah, appeals to a wide audience. <laughs> It was a really strange lunch. It was a strange lunch, but a really nice get-together gathering. And Norm Lewis, who people probably saw in Porgy and Bess, sang a song for Audra McDonald, who was being honored. He sang a song, the lullaby song from Porgy and Bess, which is a female song. And he sang it up the octave and then just like killed it. He just was amazing. Yeah, the room went crazy. This week, we also talked with Adam Woolley, who's the managing director of Circus Now and kind of like new dramatists where they support new work and new artists. Circus Now is doing the same thing, but for circus. Yeah, Circus Now is a really interesting arts advocacy group that started two years ago and has been doing a whole bunch of different kinds of things, including two different circus festivals, one in the summer called Summer Stage and one in the winter in New York called Sea and Ice. One thing that Adam was talking to us about was their new strategic plan for Circus Now in the next three years and kind of understanding what Circus Now is and what it wants to be. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting parts of that is their artist residency program they're getting launched next year, but we'll let you listen on that in a minute. I also... I love the part of the competition where we talked about the booming recreational and social circus scene because I often hear circus the growth of circus in america being dismissed but it's actually the opposite when you take a look at how many people are getting involved in circus at a grassroots amateur social level and uh, adam really had some great insight into into that scene we also talked about storytelling through circus and ways to increase accessibility before we jump right in please go on facebook like us on instagram twitter share the show rate us on twitter <laughs> tweet the show yeah tweet the show Tweet Twitter us. Share. Yeah, you can tweet us. Tweet us at Hideaway Circus. Let us know what you think. If you have any recommendations for guests, comments on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can also email us at hello at Hideaway Circus. All right, let's get on with it. Enjoy the show. <laughs> you goof. What is Circus Now? Oh, goodness. So Circus Now uh, is a nonprofit organization that I co-founded with Duncan Wall in... 2012 or 2013? I feel like I should remember that better. I think 2013. Um, With the purpose of educating the public about the sophistication and diversity of circus arts today. Uh, We we kind of had this, this sense that 
the American public and arts presenters and even kind of the other arts fields were uh, woefully unaware of kind of like what was happening in the circus arts, both kind of in the United States and all around the world. Uh, and so that was kind of our aim. It was originally centered around Duncan's book, The Ordinary Acrobat. Uh, we were on the board of the American Youth Circus Organization together, and uh, he approached me and said, my publisher wants to take me on a book tour, basically. And and I had this idea where uh, I could, I wanted to turn this book tour into community building events for the circus community in all you know these seven cities across the United States. Uh, so he approached me in, I think, November or December of 2012 for a book tour in February of 2013. And I was like, Duncan, this is crazy. We can't organize a seven city community building tour in a month. Uh, you're a crazy person. This is impossible. Uh, and then I kind of thought about it for a little bit. And I was like, you know, actually, I, I do know someone in, in all seven of those cities. Maybe we can do this. So then I went back to it. And, and so we did that. And uh, I think we ended up having community building events in six of the cities. I think one of them kind of fell through and and had such resounding and immediate feedback that this kind of community building that wasn't about necessarily doing circus, but was about gathering to talk about circus and to talk about the, the sector and the industry in a different way and from, from a more bird's eye view was something that both the commute, both our circus communities really wanted and needed, and also something that the larger arts communities uh, really wanted and needed. Coming out of that book tour, uh, we were approached by Monique Martin from Summer Stage New York, who had spoken uh, at the New York event uh, about helping her curate more circus into Summer Stage. The City Parks Foundation brings performances free to the public to New York every summer. Uh, and, and she wanted us to help her curate more circus into that program. And at that point, we kind of said, like, hmm, there seems to be the need for more than just a book tour here. And so uh, we had lots of wine and talked about what that could or should look like and, and didn't necessarily do a, a, a great or clear job of defining what circus now was. Uh, out of the gate. It's kind of been three years of opportunity upon opportunity uh, happening to us and and us kind of reacting to that. Immediately after Summer Stage, Duncan had formed a relationship with uh, Michael Harrington at NYU, who said, I want to, you know, produce an international contemporary circus showcase at NYU during the American Performing Arts Presenters Conference. And these were just projects that we we didn't feel like we could turn down. These are huge opportunities for the sector and for us. And and so we kind of rolled with it, even though neither of us really had any experience. We built a, a team of volunteers who were helping us kind of build a membership program, build a website. Uh, Ashley Compton, now Miglini, uh, our operations director, started out as our volunteer coordinator and just started doing such good work for us across the board that we were like, hey, we can't pay you any money, but like, let's give you a great position to do more free work for us. Uh, Rainy Thamer, who uh, was finishing her degree in library science, library science uh, in Chicago, became our social media director just because she is super passionate both about circus and about circus history and about where circus is going. Um, so it all kind of formed up around us. And, and I think only this past 
year have we kind of like solidified how where Circus Now's borders are, you know, like uh, it, it's been very reactionary for, for two or three years as we get all of this attention and all of these projects from arts presenters and funding bodies and other arts organizations who finally recognize a gateway into a world that that they had no access to, that seemed very uh, inaccessible to them before they started just emailing and calling because there was just an organization called Circus Now whose stated purpose was being a gateway into the circus arts. Um, so I finally kind of for the first time feel like we're, we're on top of that uh, and, and strategically deciding what to do with all of that attention and all of that connection. Well, you just released a strategic plan, right? Yes. What's in the plan? Our, what's in the plan? <laughs> well, you can read about what's in the plan if you want, but... Uh, the basic gist of the plan is we're going to continue doing the projects that we have. NYU is continuing to uh, produce the CN Ice, the Contemporary Circus Exposure. Uh, we still have a great relationship helping Summer Stage find things. and We produce a brochure uh, about free circus in New York every summer. But the two, the two major directions that uh, when we had our kind of strategic planning retreat that we decided to pursue with Circus Now, uh, one of them is a residency program. Uh, there are lots of kind of small artistic residencies available at circus schools. Uh, you know, Seattle, Sanka, the School of New, the School of Acrobatics and New Circus Arts in Seattle uh, has a great history of allowing resident artists to develop work there. Uh, the Penasco Theater in New Mexico has a great uh, history of kind of developing cool circus arts. So lots of circus schools have always supported the resident artists. I know uh, a loft in Chicago also has one. But what we haven't seen yet is a wider or broader institutional support for the development of circus arts. And so part of the goal uh, with our circus residency program is to develop over the next three years, three residencies, uh, specifically with venues or theaters, where we have a six to eight week residency for emerging companies to connect them with uh, an established theater or dance director or an established circus director. Uh, to develop new work over a six to eight week period with the intention of that new work being able to either tour or be presented in other places or have a kind of specific community building purpose uh, there. So that's that's one of our major focuses over the next three years. Um, the other major new focus for Circus Now uh, is actually happening in summer of 2017. The Smithsonian... Uh, Folklife and Cultural Heritage Center has the Smithsonian Folklife Festival, and the focus of the 2017 festival, or one of the programs, is uh, American Circus, kind of its past, its present, and its future. And uh, we're working with them a lot and have been working with them for, for God, when did I meet Preston? Uh, like since last August, I think, to kind of uh, help them with their research into what what is the story of American circus? Where Where is this kind of renaissance and renewed interest coming from? What are the roots of it? Uh, what are the interesting cultural stories to be told here? You know, I think uh, one of the reasons that American circus kind of made it through the Smithsonian bureaucracy is because it tells a whole lot of stories. It tells a lot of immigrant stories. It tells a lot of uh, kind of... Mm -mm minority stories. Women have always had a really 
uh, fascinating role in circus uh, from from kind of the original American circuses where women were celebrated for kind of strength and cunning and things and daring. I said cunning. I don't know how women were cunning in this circus, <laughs> but it was a place where where specifically women could be celebrated for things that in that time weren't generally yeah, celebrated. Have you, read, have you read this book? It's somewhere on our bookshelf. What is it? Yeah, Queen of the Air, A True Story of Love and Tragedy at the Circus. Yeah, absolutely. About, uh, is it about Dolly? It's about, I'm already forgetting her name. It is about Lillian Leitzel. Oh, Lillian Leitzel, of course. Who is the highest paid circus performer probably ever if you account for inflation. Right. Um, um, oh, man, we post some, I, re- I remember Rainey's posted some videos of her on rope just, uh, Doing like arm swings. Yeah, doing yeah, yeah doing cool, like thirty-seven million arm swings and like doing her yeah. Uh, but she's got like great stories of like the pre- like multiple presidents coming backstage and like sitting and having dinner with her before she goes on. The United States in particular has had such a, a push and pull relationship with circus, you know, kind of like the golden age of circus into the 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 kind of variety television circuit when television was first starting to be a thing and like how. Uh, variety circus artists were the, like the stars of that in a big way through kind of uh, the, all of the the PR conflicts around uh, animals and scary clowns and then like John Wayne Gacy Jr. and the Joker from Batman kind of scaring everyone off of uh, a, a style of clowning for a while and then kind of uh, Cirque du Soleil happening through the 80s and 90s and, and now for the past 10 years or so uh, circus education becoming so much more accessible. I, I don't have data to back this up, but but I feel like uh, it is. it seems more likely that a kid in the United States today has participated in circus in some way than has necessarily seen. Yeah, well, I think maybe they don't know that they participated in circus. I think that's a, a thing that, that we've been experiencing where people don't necessarily equate Cirque du Soleil with circus and like juggling and just doing things as like, you've partaken in the circus arts, you know? It's just like something that they've done for fun. And I mean, we were in Prospect Park the other day and Book Kennison and Adam Kukler were juggling and these two little girls came up with their mom and, you know, she just sat down and was watching and it was just so, so interesting to, to see like the joy that this little girl had. She was like, I just got balls to juggle and learn how to juggle. And then, you know, Josh was telling them about Universal and Circus Smirkus. And the lady was like, oh, I had no idea that these things existed. I just got her a magic set and some juggling balls. But I think like that's an interesting thing that I've come across where people don't necessarily know that they like circus or like they've seen all these different aspects of circus. And one thing that we were talking about the other day is the article in Spectacle magazine Mm -hmm. about the word circus and is that still like correct dead? term for what we're doing now. Right. I've had lots of conversations with with people who have lots of different backgrounds in circus. And where I've come to with it uh, for myself is in the way that I would like circus to be a larger term, like dance, mm-hmm. right? When like the, the term ballet is understood to be a specific kind of performance, right? And a specific kind of dance and dance is this larger word for this genre that everyone understands is is huge and diverse and and like runs the gamut from kind of folk dance square dance to 
ballet, to modern dance, to experimental dance, to hip hop, to rock concerts. And everyone understands that dance exists as a human activity on this huge spectrum that they can both participate in and, and experience as a spectator and participate in recreationally and compete in. And, and it's understood this way. And I think this is the way that I would like to understand the word circus and that I would like the American public to understand the word circus. Um, the thing that I've found in practice is that my, my ideal for that word doesn't exist yet, is that when I say the circus arts, people understand it more in the way that I want them to. And when I say circus, people understand that more like they understand the word ballet, that, that circus is a word that describes a specific style of performance. It's when you say circus, people expect a tent. People expect uh, a ring. They expect a certain format of show that is essentially, you know, the traditional circus format, which even in many contemporary circuses is maintained, which is there's an act and then there's some sort of interlude. Neither that interlude is like thematic acting storytelling or cool contemporary dance group piece or a clown. Or, or a clown. But it's always an interlude followed by another act, right? And this is the format that you see both in traditional circuses and in lots of contemporary circuses because the the fundamental building block of a circus is still an act, is still a, a six to seven minute showcase of virtuosic skill and expression. And, and that's a circus. And people are starting to understand that's why I've had more luck getting the reaction I want from the word the circus arts. What do you think the state of the circus arts in the U.S. is today? I know you guys did a survey about it, but I mean, is it healthy? Is it struggling? I think that there are a lot of different facets to it. I think where we are seeing the most explosive growth and interest in circus in the United States on a like widespread public scale is in participation, is is people are, because coaching at whatever level, be it a recreational level or an introduction level or a professional level, is becoming so much more successful and so much more widespread, people's access point to the circus arts is more about their participation in it, partially boosted by the fitness boom, partially boosted by uh, an increased interest in physical literacy and in the ways in which uh, circus can engage with social work. Uh, circus is being seen and experienced by more and more people, not necessarily as an inaccessible spectator form. And I think that is the place where the United States is is healthiest, where the state of circus is setting us up for a really exciting future. I think our, our kind of circus education is is really vibrant and widespread and grassroots and building beautiful communities and empowering people all, all over the country to, uh, you know, feel more empowered about their bodies, to feel strong, to feel brave, to feel capable. I think that those values of participating in circus are are coming to light everywhere, and that's a huge yeah, If you want to feel brave, things. go to Circus Warehouse and do a flying Japanese class. Josh made me do it, and I had a great time. My hands were so clammy because I was so nervous. But once you complete 
that, you're like, wow, I feel like so empowered. I feel so strong. I can fly through the air. It was, I mean, I was like really bad at it. Like I'm, I didn't miss my calling as a flying trapeze artist, but it really is. It's really fun. And like the people we were with were doing it cause they just like have done it for four years and like love doing it. But it's also such a great example of like, you can learn anything if you put your mind to it, right? Like circus, it's juggling. Anybody can learn to juggle three balls if you put the time in and then you can do four and five and it's a great way to build confidence in your own learning. Do you see that the boom of, I would say like, you know, recreational circus or circus classes, do, do you find that that translates to more people attending circus performances? That brings us to kind of the other pieces of the state of circus. Uh, I think that... I think that everything is steadily moving forward. I think it's moving forward more slowly than everyone wishes it would, but but that's the kind of way that, that generational change happens. When I talk to uh, presenters who are presenting circus work next to dance and theater, you know, kind of at, not as circus tents, but at proscenium theaters, the comment that they, that I hear kind of across the board is about uh, community involvement and integrated audiences. And I really love this term, integrated audiences, because uh, it is so near and dear to my experience of watching and participating and promoting circus, is that when you have a circus show, you will have people attend a circus show who, who wouldn't necessarily come and see dance, who wouldn't necessarily come and see theater, uh, partially because maybe they feel like either that those art forms aren't for them somehow. And and I think that that circus remains in a lot of people's imagination something very populist. That 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 this idea of uh, art with a capital A still has something of elitism bound up in it. And I think that that circus that comes to these theaters uh, feels more populist than that. And I think that's really important, especially in the United States, which is essentially a film and television driven culture. Do you feel like circus is good at telling all different kinds of stories? Because I think the power of film and TV and theater is text. Like you can talk about anything. While with circus, I think a lot of circus performers struggle with how do I make my act into something that's more than just skills and technique. That is something that circus artists in the United States are struggling with and learning about. And, and honestly, not just in the United States, but kind of all over the world is what what themes can circus speak to you know i think that i think different mediums lend themselves to different kinds of storytelling and different ways of storytelling you know the the themes that are inherent in circus are not necessarily what's the nature of reality although um you, you know like the nature of what's possible certainly is a big piece of circus. I think a lot of people would go to a circus and be like, wow, I feel like this person has bent my perception of, of what the human body can do. You know, I think themes that circus naturally speaks to are themes of community, are themes of uh, safety, are themes of courage, are themes of risk, are themes of, uh, you know, death, are themes of, uh, <laughs> one of, one of I, I wrote a, a paper in college when I was studying directing about uh, the essential nature of of performance is sex and death is is if you're not talking on some level about either 
sex or death, then no one's going to care. On some level, you have to be talking about one of those two things. <laughs> it's like every Broadway show has a love story. Right, exactly. Because And someone uh, probably dies. And someone probably dies. Like, these are the two major themes of human life that all performance has to kind of hit on. And Circus really, really can and does hit on both of those themes in really not in fictional ways. And I think there's the really important difference between theater and dance and circus is that in circus, you are not only presenting risk as a fictional scenario, you're presenting risk as as a real thing that's happening at that moment, you know, even uh, in an obvious way with something like swinging or flying trapeze or, or wire walking, but, but in an equal way with something like juggling, where the risk a juggler takes every night when they do their act is that they're going to drop, you know? There's a mistake that the audience recognizes right away. Theater artists don't necessarily take that same kind of risk because if you forget a line or you flub a line, the chances that the audience knows that you've flubbed a line are really low. But when you're a juggler and you drop, no one's really going to think that you meant to. Something that is an interesting positive to a circus performance is that exact thing that you're talking about, the risk is real. You know, when you're watching Romeo and Juliet with Orlando Bloom, he's not really dying. You're not really worried about him dying, you know? But like, when you're watching a circus show, all of those things that they're performing are actual risks. Like, you really are with the performer and there's nothing cooler to me than sitting in a tent and watching someone perform an act and the collective audience gasps. Because you're, you're really as one and that's something that circus can bring to the arts that theater necessarily can't. Because in a theater you're supposed to be very quiet and calm and you know, watch the show and you know it's not real but you're very into it but it's not reality really. In a circus tent, you're allowed to make noise and you're allowed to to clap and holler and gasp and and it's a really cool feeling that is so special to circus and if the arts the circus arts can bring that to an audience it's a really amazing thing that circus has i guess the question i'm curious about is how do you increase accessibility of an art form that is live how do you increase the accessibility of live performance i mean you have to uh decrease ticket price there's and you have to provide a really specific uh, service and value that people know they are not getting and will not get from film and television. And that value and service isn't I'm telling a story. It has to be more than that. It has to be better than that. I think on a local and regional level with circus, you really see that happening on a regional level. You know, every circus school has this community of dedicated audience who come and see their shows that, that they just create. And maybe the shows are good and maybe they're not good and maybe the technical level is high and maybe it's low. But what you have is a community of people who have participated in a form who feel a part of this particular tribe that that participates in this. And I think the the value of the inclusivity of circus. And this is why I try to bat down definitions of, of circus that become exclusive. To me, if the circus becomes exclusive, like, then, then where is anybody left to go? You know, the circus 
has to be the final catch-all for anyone who cannot find a community. And and I I really honestly believe that that everyone has a place somewhere in a circus tent, right? That if we literally set up a tent that everyone has a job there and maybe you're not in the spotlight, but but you can find your place in the circus. Well, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. That's yeah, really great. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. To hear this. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I could talk about circus and theater forever. All day. I get my yay <laughs> All day, every day. All day, every day. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, man.